the Book Table Podcast with me, Fee, and Annie. Hi. And Sophie. Hey. Welcome to our first episode and our book club episode. Ooh. Book club episodes are episodes we do once a month where we vote on which book uh, that we want to read. And then once we've done it, we come back here and discuss it. And for October, we chose The Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. Um, this follows the glamorous Mexican socialite Naomi, where her life is interrupted by a distressing letter from her newly wed cousin, Catalina. Naomi rushes to High Place, where her cousin lives with her husband, Virgil, and the rest of the Doyle family. There, she encounters strange and creepy ongoings of the house and its inhabitants. Um, I chose this book I put forward to Sophie and Annie um, for the month of October because it's October and October means Halloween and Halloween means creepy gothic things, Adam's family, um, weird pumpkin heads, um, creepy ghosts in dark hallways, dark rooms. Now, does the entirety of October mean all of that? Or is there an argument to be made for keeping our spookiness to like the final week, week and a half of October? Like, do we need to start creepy things on October the 1st? Personally, I would say yes. Why? Because I love Halloween and I want to enjoy every moment of it. It's not like Christmas where we get a build up in September. We only get to enjoy one month of Halloween themed things we only get one month to binge all the good halloween movies like falling leaves sort of feeling this is the month to be creepy okay actually don't no don't actually be creepy <laughs> just enjoy creepy things i don't know this isn't really <laughs> making sense oh, anymore this is the month to be creepy stare into your neighbor's windows and make eye contact did you just justify stalking? Look, I want you. Like, hey guys, you've got one free month. Like in October, you're allowed to be creepy. No, spooky. Should we go spooky instead of creepy? Spooky is like, you know, things that go bump in the night. Creepy is like something goes bump in the night and it's a man at the foot of your bed with a no, knife. Sorry, that is horror. That's not creepy. That is downright terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Different, yeah. different levels. Here. Okay. But I still maintain, right, I take issue with this. Christmas doesn't start in September. Christmas starts... No, no, well, it shouldn't, okay? You can buy Christmas presents year-round, but actual Christmas starts in the last week of November at most. Tell it to capitalism, Annie, because they don't care. They want to sell anything. <laughs> and, and this coming from the girl who's bought Quality Streets in October, a very Christmas chocolate. Hey, 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 but I'm not doing it for Christmas. I'm doing it to support myself through some difficult times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm judging both of you, but on this, I do actually agree with Annie. <laughs> I'm very much... <laughs> yeah, God, the, the gold bit of Christmas, you know, the Christ bit, that starts final week of November, but actual Christmas, 1st of December. You know, you can't put the Michael Bublé on until 1st of December. I don't disagree with that. Yeah. But I'm saying, you know how sometimes you're like, I don't feel Christmassy yet. You know? And it's like, that's an issue I have. Anyway, so Mexican Gothic. I chose it on the basis of, it says Gothic. It said creepy, gripping, 
called Washington Post. Wonderfully creepy, says Vanity Fair. And so I thought this is yeah. the perfect How book. Are we on the, the, the sort of the gory to non-gory book scale, how do we feel about gory books or non like creepy, scary, gory? Like, where are we? Gore and like creepy are two very separate things. Like, I can handle gore and just like blood and action and violence and all of that. I have no kind of issues with that. I guess that I'm not that squeamish. But the creepy stuff is the stuff that gets in my head and will keep me up at night because my house, you know, it creaks. There's a fireplace. Stuff will just fall down it in the night. And it's like, oh no, now, now I think that's a ghost. This, I read this book before I went to bed, which was a terrible idea. If you're scared by things like this, don't do that. <laughs> it was not a good experience. I was like, I'm 24 years old. I'm lying in bed. And I need to put Netflix on so that I can have something cute in the background to just get my mind to calm down. I do that. One time when it was raining and it was like thunder and lightning, like the full works, and I was at university and I was a little bit frightened. So I put Great British Bake Off on in the background on Netflix to get me to sleep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I literally, I put on the first season of Pokemon <laughs> on Netflix and I was like, you know what? We're going to fall asleep to the adventures of Ash this year, Brooke, and no one can judge me. I I had a weird experience where I I think as a as a teenager especially but also as a child I was extremely anxious and then sort of you know through a lot of uh, shall we say help from various medical professionals I did get better I, I I'm not as anxious I'm not as sort of tense I've got you know other issues that I'm still working on but the anxiety is fairly under control and I suddenly found that I could cope with horror and roller coasters that was a big one I couldn't I, roller coasters used to freak me out and now I love them I was able to find a way in which it felt like a positive adrenaline rush rather than mm. you know crippling the things I have read before is like more Neil Gaiman sort of books so the graveyard book Coraline those mm. sorts of books but those were also when I was younger I've just never read horror before like I guess it's not something that I've really been kind of interested in. I guess because I don't watch a lot of horror movies, so it's not something that I kind of gravitated towards to really kind of read about. I think what you're identifying, though, is horror versus gothic, um, which I think is a line she treads really carefully in this book. I think it does, it veers in various directions, but I think for the most part, this book yeah. maybe t dips its toe in the genre features of horror, but is aesthetically gothic. I am prepping for a course on literary genre next term and you're all my test audience. Congratulations. So I think, yeah, aesthetically, I think it, it plays around with the features of Gothic and the language of Gothic. You know, I think on the book, uh, Kirkus uh, uh, relates it to Rebecca and The Guardian talks about the Brontes, which I think has that same... Um, creepy house sort of beautiful young woman oppressed by a house and it in some way represents patriarchy kind of thing um but i think she does then sort of bring in those more sort of lovecraftian edgar Allan poe horror elements i think she is she's interested in where they intersect aesthetically but also just sort of narratively mm. and I would say this is a very aesthetic book and you can tell that by the descriptive language like it's a very oh, descriptive God, yeah. book 
and mm. it, it doesn't uh, and it, you walk away from any chapter having almost just an entire picture of the family members the characters what they look what they wear um oh they're always describing her clothes and i love it i love the yeah. 19 this 1950s era and that's what you want from a gothic novel in a sense because that's what a lot of gothic novels do they are very descriptive in you need to get that feeling of this is a creepy sinister house and I'm mm. gonna tell you why just by looking at it yeah. and you know we watch a lot of gothic films but the visuals are already there for us that we can see the creepy things about it without having it you know kind of incorporated too much in the storyline but this like needs that because we're imagining oh i think this is extremely cinematic and i think one thing that it sort of brings to your source of your rebecca's your jane eyre's withering heights is uh your withering's height if you will um is the contrast of her and her world like if you think withering heights they all sort of belong in the more. Same with Jane Eyre, you know, she's Jane Eyre is a grey person who goes to a grey house. And, you know, the second Mrs. De Winter in Rebecca is, you know, she's a stiff breeze would knock her over. She's not supposed to be bright and strong and interesting. Whereas uh, Naomi is a bright, colourful character. And there is a lot of sort of um, language focused on how she is a bright, colourful thing in this sort of mouldy grey dripping house. Um, quite literally mouldy and dripping as it turns out and I think I was really I really enjoyed that kind of uh, contrast but also that sense of agency that she had I think you know I love Jane Eyre but Jane is an absolute pansy throughout you know she's not assertive she's not you know whereas I think what I think for this storyline Naomi had to be that kind of character very forward and you know she goes to university Mm. she is very independent she plays men rather than the other way around and she is this vivacious woman Mm -hmm. who doesn't need anybody's permission to do what she wants to do essentially you know the fact that it is it's a mexican goth it's it's taking those gothic elements but you're a few kind of what decades later even a century benefited from like I guess the first kind of um first wave of feminism kind of thing so she's got kind of a little bit more kind of agency that she would do if she was back kind of in Jane as well she definitely kind of benefits from that I think yeah, well and I think it's also a personality mm. thing you know but it's it's a personality but it's yeah, personality no, that yeah. she backs up yeah with that's true that sort of awareness I think one of the things I liked about it was that so there are storylines in which it discusses, you know, there's discussions of sort of um, they're this English family and she is a Mexican woman. And obviously she is a woman in a patriarchal society. And then sort of layered on top of that, I think you have the allegorical elements of the story, the way in which it represents um, uh, those sort of discussions of sort of uh, colonialism and gender. But it never felt aggressive or preachy to me it felt like it wanted to have it 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 had something interesting to say about those things and it didn't feel the story didn't have an agenda it was telling a story with a really powerful message you know I think it also works because 
like at least with the kind of the elements of colonialism it works kind of all mm. the way like it's it's baked into everything so mm. it, you know it's very much present in you know just how the different characters are described how you know how Naomi is as you know somebody that is essentially indigenous to their country and how you know her yeah. the clash between her and the Doyle family that happens on very much of a personality level is kind of representative of, of oppression sort of by colonial powers and then it goes it's also tied into kind of how the whole mushroom thing works um because I was definitely initially kind of very taken aback by this twist I was like this is this felt very out of left field uh, my first thought was like are there cultural significances to mushrooms in Mexico that I just don't understand but then there was like <laughs> a bit later when talking about had used Mexican the 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 bodies of the Mexican mine workers as essentially mulch to feed the mushroom, and at that point it clicked to me. I was like, oh, okay, this is colonialism. They are they are they are sustaining themselves off the lives of indigenous people essentially. And I was that was the moment when it kind of like clicked for me as to kind of what she did. So I think the way that she worked that down yeah. into like every aspect of the story kind of made the message kind of very strong. I liked that it was um, allegory layered on top of literal meaning, you know, because you also had that whole discussion about um, the, the the sort of the patriarch of the family being this weird, creepy eugenicist obsessed with skin colour, which, oh, just made my skin crawl, you know? You know how sometimes you can have, like, a nuanced reaction to something and sometimes you're like, no, it just freaks me out. Um, and that was, I think I had like a visceral reaction to that. I was just going to say, I think that layering meant that it didn't take away from the pace of the story, but it was quite slow to begin with because you're building up this setting, who these people are. And then I, I think kind of like at the end, like third to end quarter of the book did like events unfold one after the other and like answers were just you know questions were answered like one after the other I don't know about you guys so what I did is I set aside sort of an hour one evening and I read sort of it's a 300 page book I read the first sort of 100 pages to the nearest chapter and then the next morning I woke up and I had the entire day and I was like oh, okay I'm gonna read the next 200 pages and then I'm well I have my coffee and then I'll think about breakfast and right at sort of the 200 page mark I was gripped like right at the point where I was like oh, okay I can put it down have another cup of coffee I was like oh no I'm in the story now but it took me like two-thirds of the book to get to a place where I couldn't put it down but I did get there eventually how about you because I ordered it like not long after we decided we were going to read it I remember like a few days later I picked it up and I read maybe like the first 30 to 40 pages and I hadn't really gripped me and then I kind of put it down and then I just didn't I knew I had to read it and I knew that like there was a time limit but I just didn't have that kind of motivation to pick it back up until last week when I was like oh great now I've got to do this so you know I went back to it and I think it took me about a hundred pages to like get into it and at that point I was like really reading through and I started to kind of want to know you know the answers to the questions and then yeah by about halfway I think about halfway through that's when I was like really hooked and then the ending is just a complete page turner there's so much happening that you you do not you need you like you you'll be like in such suspense that you just have to keep turning the page because you're like how are they going to get out of this situation it took me right until like 
the big reveal on um when she's sort of uh they they sort of drug her and start sort of giving her the mushrooms that was the point at which I was like no I'm hooked I'm in and that was like 200 pages in and it was 200 pages of beautiful slow exposition it was sort of like it was sort of like I was on a gentle boat ride and then suddenly I was on like Splash Mountain my favorite character was Francis this is the Francis protection program right here we are Francis protectors from today onwards Francis is my sweet baby angel I would like to protect him from the world (laughs) and I would like to fund his biology degree you know what I mean Francis was one of the things that I think helped me get hooked because quite early on in my head I was immediately going oh god is he gonna be evil or is he gonna die I was like please don't be evil I I really need this to like I was just (laughs) waiting for him to trait like to be a traitor to her and I was like, oh my gosh, Naomi's going to be devastated because she actually loves him. At the point at which it was like, he's not a traitor. He's definitely on her side. I was like, well, shit, that's it. He's dead. And I, there was a point where I was like, if he dies, I will I, I will lose my shit. Like, he is, he is just, and, and the point at which he was like, I, I literally cannot leave the house. I was like, what? I... I became non-verbal. I was so angry about the possibility of him not having a happy ending. And then it was happy and he survived. And I was like, honestly, like if Francis hadn't survived, that would have been a major downside to this book for me. Oh, for sure. I would have left devastated. Yeah. I would have probably couldn't yeah. even talk for a, a good few I, days. I was definitely surprised that they all came out. Cause like, I think, yeah, I think the thing, the interesting thing, the thing about the characters is like, you can't really like anyone other than Naomi and Francis and Catalina just, because everyone else is just objectively horrible <laughs> so it's kind of like awful but i didn't think they'd all come out of it alive i did expect at least one of them to not make it so i was pleasantly very pleasantly surprised by that ending when they were all kind yeah. of there and all intact does that probably perhaps signal of how pessimistic we are as readers <laughs> um um you know who Liked is the wrong word. You know what character I thought was really well written was Virgil. Yeah, I did find Virgil. First of all, the name supposed to be that they're just European exceptionists, and so they were like, "I will name my son Virgil." I I don't know, but I absolutely kept on like switching my mind and switching around about him. It took me way too long to firmly put him in the absolute dickwad category. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, it was it was interesting the kind of the way she played with that, and I guess you're at kind of expectations of kind of exactly what the if she's playing on kind of you know like Bronte, playing on your expectation of what the like the man in that creepy house is kind of like, and like is he actually okay and capable of love, or is he actually just completely awful? And I feel like that that was another thing that kind of kept yeah. you kind of hooked, I guess. He's all often described as charming, and when you're going through that motions of oh but he's very charming and he's like you know when you you meet that person and you're like I've got a bad feeling about them but they're so charming I must be wrong and also didn't she like straight up say several times more attractive than Francis you know he's this someone who is alluring as a person but he is downright a dickhead and don't go near him he is red big red flag right that was there. my eighth brain going like 
lady, just just stay away from him. It's not hard. Just just don't go near him. <laughs> I was like, I do not understand you at all. I'm sorry. He keeps on like changing mm-hmm. his story. You know, sometimes he's on the family side, sometimes he's on her side. He's always making her feel like she's doing the wrong thing. And also the reveal when it was him who made her dream about him coming to her in the bar. Sometimes books make me realize that I am a sucker, you know? I, I'm a sucker. I, it, you have to, like, be nice for me once and then stop being nice to me. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're, you're, you're the perfect man. Like, everything about you is glorious. Like, I'm awful. Wait, have you read Wuthering Heights? Yes, and Wuthering Heights is fun. Do you think it's a good romance? Wuthering Heights is not a good romance. You know what is okay, a good, good romance? You know what I do find extremely romantic but tells you all of the awful things about what I find romantic is Jane Eyre. Jane Eyre? Okay. I guess it's just marginally better than Wuthering Heights. Uh, Wuthering Heights! It's just Jane Eyre. No, it's he's, not good. It's, not it's good. that moment where he's revealed that he lies to her about everything and then literally in that scene goes, and don't you trust me? It's just like, oh, it's horrible and mean and weird because he loves her. I, in, in fiction, okay? Don't accept that behavior from men in real life. Like, you know, read Jane Eyre, but if you get too into it, speak to a therapist, you know? But in this case, I think this was definitely not a Jane Eyre case. This was upright. He's a dickhead. This is a red flag. In some way, this book was designed to teach morons like me that, like, you know, trust your instincts and don't like people. Although I think the thing about it was she stayed because she wanted to save her cousin, and she does. You know what I mean? Her instincts were telling her run. She didn't she stayed because she wanted to save her cousin and she saved her cousin. And that I think was a really nice element to it. That sort of layer of, I don't know, of, you know, family helping family and women helping women and people who care about each other are able to save each other in the end. You know, that was nice. What did you think about like the fungus thing? Because, so for me, I went, when I was reading like Catalina and she was like, (sighs) always really tired and blah 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 blah, and there was like mold and everything I was like well obviously she's been poisoned by like the mold infested walls or something like it's mold that's causing this I was just like it's the mold you're such a scientist I was just like ew gross the wall's moldy let's leave that alone and when the mold moved I was like no, when the mold moved, I was like, Jesus, you're hallucinating. Yeah. Go back to that. That was me. I was like, look, it's a, it's an old house. They don't have good grounds maintenance. You know what I think about Virgil Doyle? He might be controlled by mushrooms, but he sure isn't a fun guy. <laughs> I mean, you had to have a fun guy. I apologize for nothing. I am proud. I, I, I stand by that one. Okay, I think we've used up our like mushroom fungus. No, let her tell the joke. She will. Uh, she won't stop otherwise. So, after the book, when Naomi and Francis get the happily ever after, they choose to live in a really crowded place. And you know why? They couldn't bear to be in another house with mushroom. That was actually that's not bad. If you didn't, if we weren't expecting it, I would have laughed. Thank you. 
but I I have to uh, like when when I finished that book I was like I don't know if I can eat mushrooms anymore I'm just gonna be so skeptical <laughs> and then I was like oh my gosh Naomi and Francis are never and, and Catalina are never gonna want to eat a mushroom ever again like they will be the family dinner I have been making the greatest mushroom pasta like and I've basically had it every night this week which is disturbing because it's got like half a bottle of cream in it but at the same time, like, this book obviously did not put me off mushrooms. No, and it won't me because um, I'm, I'm vegetarian, so I need them. <laughs> I was going to say, where are you going to get your umami from if not from Marmite and mushrooms? <laughs> now, the problem with Howard Doyle is he's a real shiitake. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the problem with me is I will always say, no, yeah, now I'm done. But that's just because I've run out of ideas. And if I get more ideas, I will just start all over again. So what did you think about this book in October? Would you recommend it? Inspired by Fionnifides, I did um, concoct an extremely scientific system of book quality measurement, which I can now explain to you all. Um, so this is based on sort of the real life way in which I judge a book and I recommend it to other people. And we're going to start with, like, bottom of the barrel, don't read this, you know? This is kind of, what I often say to friends is, I'm a very fast reader, and I'll say, oh, I finished it, so you don't have to, you know? I was able to get through it very quickly, so I could pass on to you the knowledge that it's not worth finishing. You know, no hope, no expectations, this is just, you know, it's a real fart noise in book. Then you step up, and you're like, hmm read it if you can get it from the library you know read it if it's on kindle unlimited read it if you i don't know find a copy in a oh what do you call them like a book book drop box charity shop yeah charity shop but i was also thinking of um open libraries that's what they're called libraries little little pocket libraries you know read it if it's in a book swap you know like if someone gets it for you for Christmas, it's worth giving it a skim, but like, don't, don't spend your money on it. And then we step up one to solid paperback, you know? What this is, is I don't regret spending $8.99 on it. You know what I mean? I have it. I like that I have it. I enjoyed reading it. I don't regret the $8.99 that it cost to buy me a paperback. I'm glad that the author got some of that money. I'm glad that I have a copy. And the other thing I'll say about at that point is if you have a copy, you can lend it to other people. Mm -hmm. So like there's a there's an investment in having a paperback copy, which is, you know, as three people who often, you know, swap books around, buying a paperback is not just an investment in your own reading, but in the reading of those around you. And so if you buy a paperback, you're sort of saying it's a worthwhile read. And then you step up. And this is where it gets a bit squiffy. Because this is where you step, you get to the point of, oh, it's worth buying in hardback. Now, I mean this metaphorically, although also kind of literally. Because even if a book is now out in paperback and you can't buy the hardback anymore, what I mean is it's so good that you should buy it no matter what format it's in, you know? It's worth buying in hardback. It's worth spending five quid extra so that you can read it now, you know? It's that immersive, it's that gripping, it's that necessary that you don't just want to buy it in paperback. You want to, like, 
in order to avoid the wait for it by uh, you want to buy a slightly more inconvenient and slightly more expensive copy um and the other thing i will say about hardback is often what happens to me is that if i like a book so much that i buy it in hardback that author will then become a hardback author for me so like obviously when you buy a book in hardback you don't know if it's hardback quality and so most of the time you're buying a book in hardback because you believe that the author is hardback quality you know so when a book is given the hardback rating i might already have it in paperback that might be a metaphorical rating but it might mean that i have raised the author in my estimation to that of an automatic hardback buy um and then we have the final step on the scale um, which was fees edition, uh, ad addition, and it's funny that it was an addition because it's special edition. Mm. So, like a book that you love and treasure so much that, in addition to your like raggedy, well-read copy, you're gonna splash out that extra money on buying a special edition. Maybe it's got some like shiny cover, or maybe it's got I don't know extra glossy pages. Maybe it's got a by the author, fan art, um, maybe it's signed by the author. I have a copy of Pulse and Our Stars that's signed by John Green. Um, you know, <laughs> the step above a book worth buying in hardback is a book so good that you want to, you know, even once you've read it, you want to spend that extra cash to get a special version. It's not just a read book, it's a display book. It is a book to show that you appreciate not just the story, but the book yeah. itself. And at that point, it's like an identity feature, you know? I want to have a beautiful copy of this, not to lend to other people, but to show to other people. It is a showpiece. So that's my, um. and then huh, the other thing about Fee's Genius Edition is that it made it a five-star scale, which is just quite convenient because that's how I normally rate books anyway. So there are five types of book. So how do we feel about Mexican Gothic? I say... A hard paper, not a hard paperback, but just a paperback, a solid paperback. I think, I think I'm there with you too. It's a solid paperback. I do have it in paperback, and I think I'd be happy to lend it to other people. You know, I'd pass it around. But uh, yeah, mm. it's it's solidly sits at paperback. You know? Yeah, definitely. I think it's it, it's it's a book that I'm glad I read, but I don't know if I would really go back to it to like kind of reread it much and also you know it, it is a book that's not kind of going to grab you right at the start you might need to invest a bit of time into like getting into the story kind of before you get that kind of enjoyment if that makes sense yeah i would like to stick yeah. with this author though just you know again she's not an automatic hardback for me yet but i'd like to stick with her because i think there was a lot of really good writing in this yeah i would yeah. be interested in seeing kind of what she does there's um Next. there was one book that I was interested by her following on called Certain Dark Things, mm -hmm. and it's uh takes place in Mexico City, an oasis, sorry, in a sea of vampires. Now, I'm not gonna lie, I was a Twilight fan. So I was about to say, oh, whomst amongst us wasn't, and then I was like, Sophie, Sophie wasn't. Sophie, you know, <laughs> remained above us all while we were all having Twilight faith, and now. Retain I, the right to judge. A disdainful, I'm not like other girls, and I'm also, I do not understand your romance. Yeah. That was very much me. I was like, okay, I don't care. Yeah. I was reading, like, I don't know, Virginia Woolf being pretentious. Mm -hmm. What's a shame, though, is 
I feel like you probably have, in some respects, the music tastes that everyone got from Twilight, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, ha- I have all the emo music. Yeah. Paramore. I did. Paramore was my bread and butter. That was my IV drip. I was going to say, you have all the music, but you didn't, you didn't have the Twilight phase itself, which, you know, may have we all have been afforded that dignity. Oh. Maybe it all stems back to Twilight. Maybe my terrible taste in men isn't actually the fault of me reading Jane Eyre. Maybe it goes all the way back to Twilight, which has that same thing of, you know, I've been lying to you this whole time. Don't you trust me? Oh, Sophie, you have to at least watch the films. You don't have to read the book. <laughs> I've seen at least one of them. No, I've seen no, two no, of them. See, no. she doesn't drink. Like, it wouldn't be unfair to make someone watch oh. those aged 24 sober, you know? That's just cruel. That's cruel and unusual it's not punishment. A punishment, if you look at it from a very ironic point of view. To be fair, you might be able to enjoy it just from the point of once Fee and I were unironically into this. You know what I mean? might get joy out of that oh yeah would anyone like to hear about a segment that i have made up on the spot yes go for it right the segment is called if you liked this you should read so we're hoping that you're reading along with us and so what we want to leave you with is sort of a list of if this was right up your street what should you read um and i'm going to start with a short story uh which has, I think, is, you know, if you liked this, it'll take you, I don't know, 20 minutes, half an hour to read The Telltale Heart by Alan Poe. Very short and has all of the, like, creepy vibes, you know, I think. Mm. We need to read Poe. It was like Halloween month and I was like, I've never read Edgar Alan Poe. I should, I should do that, but I haven't got read it because I don't finish book. Telltale Heart. <laughs> I taught it. Oh, it is a very good short story. Hmm. Well, seeing as this is only one of the only gothic books I have read, my recommendation would either probably read more of the author, which mm-hmm. is Sylvia Morena Garcia, yeah, or it makes me actually want to reread Neil Gaiman because yeah. that did give me those creepy vibes, but in a really like, I guess, in a more positive way yeah. than. Yeah than this book in a way that ghosts were friendly and like dead people were helping you i guess i haven't read a ton of books like this but maybe i would recommend like daphne de maurier i'm not sure about i wasn't super into rebecca but i really like don't look was it don't look now um so it's i think it's one of the short stories it's set in venice um about and there's like a creepy kind of ghost child um and that, that story was really good. I really enjoyed that. So I think if you want to look back at some more kind of like... Have you read the one where she predicted Brexit? No, I don't think oh. so. Daphne de Maurier wrote in the 70s a novel about what would happen if, like, you know, with a load of lies, the UK had have a referendum and decided to leave the, the EU and then America invades. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no. I bought a copy, but I could never psych myself up to read it, you know? Oh god. Anyway, I think that is the end of the yeah. episode. Should we, should we leave yeah. it here? Leave it here. So oh next book club. Oh yeah. Tell a, tell yes. the listeners what we're reading next. 
Go on, Sophie. Picked a book um, to be reading the next month. The general theme was cozy, uh, cozy November reads. So we voted on Once Upon a River by Diane Setterfield. Um, it's set um, in sort of like a town on the edge of the River Thames. And what happens is that sort of townspeople are in the inn and then they're just chilling in their inn. And then an old man walks in with a child that looks dead, but is not dead. And after that, it's kind of the people that live in this area kind of trying to understand kind of the story behind where this person came from. And then also just kind of going into their own personal stories. And it's supposed to be kind of one of those books that blends kind of like folklore and fairy tales and that kind of thing with a narrative. Yeah. And also there's, you know, cozy pubs in a river. What more could you want on a cold November evening? Oh, get me to a pub. Get me to an inn. I've not heard the word inn for a long time, except for like nativity play. <laughs> yeah, no room at the inn. Mm -hmm. We need more inns. Well, Premier, Premier Inn. Premier Inn. Premier Inn. When I lived in Durham, there are a couple of good like inn inns. Uh... Anyway, yeah. four. But next yeah. month, then, we shall discuss the topic of inns and um, discuss more about the book. So thank you for listening. Annie, Sophie, thank you for being here and joining. And yeah. till next time. <laughs>